0: Hello, and once again, welcome to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be studying today in chapter 3. And if you remember in our last study, we, we studied chapter 3, verses 13 through, let's see, through 18. Now we're going to go back and we're going to look at the same text, the very same text as before. But this time we're going to look at it. Now get ready, young people, and we'll give you a big word, Christologically. Okay, we're going to look at it as, in some ways, pointing to Christ. So let's, let's read the text, and then afterwards what we're going to do is, um, we're going to pray, and then we're going to... Well, what I really want to do today is, at least before you, as much as I can, by the grace of God, exalt Christ and show you from the Scriptures how truly beautiful He is. That if any virtue is pointed out, any virtue in the Scriptures, that it is just a shadow of the greatness of Christ. All right, so let's um, let's read Proverbs chapter three. Let's start in verse 13. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her and happy are all who hold her fast. Now, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day. And Father, thank you for the privilege that is mine to teach these young people. But father, the theme today is so high, it is so beautiful that even if I had the mind and tongue of the most brilliant preacher or the greatest angel, it would still not be enough to describe the glory, the power, the beauty, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. His saving work. So, Father, I pray today that you will help us. For the glory of your son and Lord, for the sake of the young people who are listening, who are listening. All right. Well, I want to read something to you to begin, and um, it's found um, in something I wrote recently. And I really need you to understand this. So kind of get your ear close and really pay attention to what we're going to be talking about. Throughout the book of Proverbs, there are striking similarities between wisdom and the person of Christ, the son of God. It does not mean that you can substitute the name or person of Christ in the place of wisdom each time you see the word. Now, let me say that again. I don't want you, young person, going through the book of Proverbs and every time you see wisdom or understanding that you say, oh, Jesus fits here, because that's not true. So it does not mean that you substitute, that you can substitute the name or person of Christ in the place of wisdom each time you see the word. Nor does it mean, also, it does not mean that there are exact parallels in the book of Proverbs between Christ and wisdom. We will especially see that in Proverbs chapter eight. It is probably best to look at this matter, as many scholars have suggested. Now, listen, that the wisdom that is displayed in the book of Proverbs is a type or shadow of an infinitely greater reality, the person of Jesus Christ. And I think that is a good way of looking at it, that we see so much um, with regard to wisdom that that seems to relate to Christ. But what I want you to see is it's it's just a shadow. It's just a type that points to something who is someone who is far, far greater. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. So now let's read. And um, with great caution, we're going to see may be Christ in in what we studied last in our last session. So if you look in verse 15, or no, I'm sorry, verse 13. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Now I want to reread it. How blessed is the man, how blessed is the young person who finds Christ. How blessed is the man who finds Christ, and the man who gains Christ. Now remember what I said, and please, please understand me here. The book of Proverbs is marvelous, it's wonderful, and I'm glad we're studying it. And there are laws that God has given us, the Ten Commandments and other such things. There are also precepts and statutes that we all need to consider. And then there's the book of Proverbs that's full of wisdom and and it helps us to guide our life. But you need to see that all these things are pointing to someone else. They're pointing to Christ, because you and I can't keep the law. We've not kept the law. You and I have not been wise. You and I have sinned. You and I need a savior. So if if you memorize the entire Old Testament, but you do not have Christ, it's useless. If you can claim to have studied through the entire book of Proverbs and you understand it correctly, but you have not Christ, it really, really, really doesn't matter. So I want to say a few things here. First of all, Christ is the logos, our word of God. He is the greatest revelation of God. So when we study through the law, we're seeing the character of God manifested. When we study through the book of Proverbs, yes, we're seeing the wisdom of God. But if you really want to see the greatest revelation that God has ever given of Himself, then you look to the Son, always look to the Son, always the Son, always Him. I'm an old man, and I've walked with Christ much longer than most of you have been alive. And I can tell you this, although I love all the things of God's Word, I love it the most because it points to His Son. Now, I just want us to look so that you, you you know, we're dealing with Scripture here. Let's go to John for a moment, chapter one, John, chapter one. And um, I think so far in this study, I've gone about 10 minutes, so I'm going to go off track here and just ask the film guy to tell me when the next 10 minutes pass. Okay? All right. Let's look in in um, in John, chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. Okay, so we have this thing called the word and he was in the beginning. This is talking about his eternity. This word, whoever it is, whatever it is, like God is eternal. And then it says, and the word was with God. The word, this person, this thing dwelled in perfect fellowship, perfect communion with God. And then we have the, one of the most astounding statements in all of the Bible and the word, this this word, he was God. Now, here's the question, who's the word? Do we have to guess at an answer? Well, we can talk about all sorts of things from secular Greek language to philosophy to all sorts of things to actually the word logos, which is word uh, the way it's revealed in the scriptures. But I just want us to go to verse 14 and we will see who the Word is. And the Word became flesh. So the Word is the eternal Son of God. God has existed existed throughout eternity as a trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not three gods. It is one God manifested in three distinct and real persons. The Father is God. The son is God and the spirit is God. And you say that brother Paul, that's a great mystery. Can you explain it? Well, I could say a lot more about it, but it would take up too much time. But it will always remain to us a mystery. But wouldn't you expect the God of the universe to be in some things incomprehensible, not irrational or illogical, but incomprehensible? beyond what the minds of men and even angels can comprehend. So it says in verse 14, and the word became flesh. What does that mean? He took to himself a human body. He he became a real human being. That Jesus Christ is often called the God man because he is God, the son, but he is also the son of man, he is also a true man. True God, without any diminishing of the term. He is God in the fullest and most complete sense of the term, and at the same time, he is man in the most complete sense of the term. Now, what you need to understand here is that, I don't know if you've ever heard the word demigod. A demigod is something in between God and man. Jesus is not a demigod. Nor is he something greater than a man, but lower than an angel in the sense of his eternality, his nature. No, Jesus Christ is God. And Jesus Christ is man. Two natures, human and divine, without mixture, without confusion. And that is why, young people, I'm always telling you look to Jesus. And I'm telling you that because the Bible's telling you that. Because only God can reveal God. Do you see that? If you want to know who God is, you have to go to God. I mean, even angels would be at a loss for words. To reveal to you exactly who God is. But in the person of Jesus Christ, God became man. And look what it says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace. And truth so if you it says you know how blessed is the man who finds wisdom how blessed is the man who finds Christ because in in finding Christ in 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 looking at Christ in savoring Christ in meditating upon Christ by seeing Christ in the scriptures well there is no greater blessing than that as a matter of fact all blessing flows from that from that one singular person, Jesus Christ. Now, I want us also to look for just a moment at 1 Corinthians, Chapter one. OK, this was written by the Apostle Paul after the we have the Book of Romans and then 1 Corinthians, Chapter one and verse 30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, first of all, it says by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, it's by God's doing. Yes, the Bible commands us to repent. The Bible commands us to believe and by faith we are saved. But you need to understand if you have come to the point of repentance and faith, don't stick out your chest and be proud know that that, too, is by the grace of God and that if you're believing in Jesus, it is a work of God, the Father in you through the Holy Spirit, regenerating your heart, giving you repentance, giving you faith. You and I owe our salvation from A to Z to the work of God, young person. So where's the room for pride? Um, There is no room for pride. Do you see? It says, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Now look at this. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now let's just look at these really quick. First of all, I'm going to change the order a little bit. Let's look at redemption. You and I were born enslaved to sin. We were under the condemnation of sin, leading to eternal judgment and also we're under the power of sin. We couldn't free ourselves from it. When our parents tell us to obey and maybe we even want to obey, but we still find ourselves disobeying. So we were slaves to sin. Redemption means to liberate a slave or a captive by paying a price. And what was that price? Not the blood of bulls and goats. Not some good work that you and I might do. The price was the blood of God's own son, the precious blood of a spotless lamb. People ask me sometimes, what's your motivation for carrying on? What is your motivation for serving? And, and really, there's one primary motivation. He shed his own blood for my soul. I have been bought with a price and I no longer belong to me. I belong to him. So how do I get out of slavery? Him, only Christ. Young person, look at me, you can't get out of slavery by memorizing the book of Proverbs. You can't get out of slavery by being moral or virtuous or anything else. You get out of slavery because Jesus Christ died in your place and you trust in Him. And then it says, He's become our righteousness. You see, you and I have no righteousness of our own. To be acceptable to God, you have to be, did you know this, you have to be morally Perfect. Now, that's very simplistic and I could say a lot more, but let let me put it this way. You have to be perfect from the moment you're born to the moment you die. If you want to stand before God in communion and fellowship, you must not only be without sin, you must be full of good works. And you and I have neither of those qualifications. Who may ascend to God, the psalmist asked, the one with clean hands and a pure heart you don't have clean hands and you don't have a pure heart. So how can we be declared righteous before God? It is only through Jesus Christ. Jesus, becoming a man, he lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. And then he died, having suffered the wrath of God, he died in our place and paid for the penalty of our disobedience. And the moment you trust in Christ, your sins are forgiven by virtue of his death, but not only that, the perfect life that he lived, always pleasing to the Father, it is given to you. It's called in theology an alien righteousness. It doesn't mean righteousness that comes from this from space, but it means this, righteousness that comes from another, from Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, a, a, a Muslim may say, I'm going to go to paradise because I am a righteous man. I have done good things. And a Jewish man may say, I am going to go to heaven because I have kept the law of God and, and I have done good things. A Christian says, I am going to heaven based upon the virtue and the merit of another. Jesus Christ, my Lord. So Jesus has become for us what? Redemption, righteousness. Sanctification, that that we are made holy and we are separated unto God through Him, through His death, through our faith in Him, we're separated unto God, but also He works in us. And that's called progressive sanctification. He works in us now to make us more holy. I'm not the man I was 30 some years ago when I became a Christian. I've changed. But if I have changed, I have nothing uh, in which to boast except Jesus Christ, who began a good work in me, is finishing it. Do you see that? And then he's our wisdom. You know, I have met in my years in academics and things, I have met brilliant men, you know, astrophysicists and scientists and people who've studied with Nobel laureates and everything. And many of them didn't know Christ. But I could take you to the jungle of Peru and find an old native woman who can't even hardly read. And yet she has more wisdom than all those other men, all those other academics. Why? Because she has been taught of God and she sees that Jesus Christ is everything. And that is true wisdom. Do you see that? So, yeah, I want you to learn all the book of Proverbs, but I would rather have you learn this one truth deeply. Jesus is everything. Not only everything, student, He's all we have. We don't have anything else. Nothing else. Nothing. 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 I always say, apart from Him, I would have no part with God. Now, I want to get to one verse before we close, and it also has to do with Christ being the true source of all blessing. And that is in the book of Ephesians. Just run over there with me. Chapter one. And. Chapter one, verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ okay now in Christ now we don't have time and I would love to but it would take probably a couple days to go through chapter 1 but as you read through chapter 1 and I really recommend it as you go through you are going to see the phrase in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved, over and over and over again. And basically, after verse 3, saying that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, then Paul goes on throughout this chapter, at least part of this chapter, and begins to explain what those blessings are. And what he's saying is this, every one of those blessings is in Christ. Do you understand me? I want you to, 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 to kind of look at it as a sphere. Okay, a sphere, a circle. You were in Adam, okay, in that circle. That was your sphere of existence. And in there is sin, unrighteousness, condemnation and death. That's who you were in Adam. But the moment you trust in Christ, you come out of that sphere of existence. And now you're in another sphere of existence. You are in Christ. And what do we have there? Oh, we have righteousness. We have eternal life. We have life. And so, even though I'd love to go through this passage, I know I can't, but I want to close with this. Um, I had a young person come up to me one time years ago, and they said, after my sermon, they go, Brother Paul, Jesus is all we need. And I said, young man, Jesus is all we have. He is just all we need. That is so true. But what you need to understand, he's all we have. Outside of him, we have nothing, nothing. So in all you're getting of wisdom, realize it's a shadow and a type pointing to a much greater reality and that great reality is Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Studies in Proverbs podcast produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society.